Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening to you all. It's Tuesday the 8th of... August, I'm Ronan Berry, and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103, coming up on the show this evening. I will look at the announcement today that domestic violence leave will become available to employees later this year. They're looking at about five days of fully paid leave to begin with on that. Now, it is the start of a two-year trial programme, as announced by Minister for Equality, Roger Gorman, this morning. Later on, Anne Clark from Offaly Domestic Violence Support Services will give their perspective on that announcement. Also, the founder of Zeus Scooters down in Carlow, it was founded in 2019, Damien Young, will be along to talk about their business because they now operate in 50 cities across nine countries. But rather ironically, despite paying over €6,000 per year in annual rates to Carlow County Council, they were recently overlooked on a tender to supply e-mobility services to Carlow County Council. Damien has a kind of a, will give his perspective on that decision later in the show too. And also I'll be looking at Leash's newest beach resort. Yes, I'm not kidding you, a beach resort in County Leash. Now bear in mind Leash is doubly landlocked. There is no county in Ireland as landlocked as Leash is, but there's a beach resort there too. And around half past seven this evening, you will meet the founder of that business. It's a lovely story. Another one of those stories of these new businesses that are cropping up all around the Midlands and really are people just going, you know what, we've got a vision, we've got something we want to do and we're going to do it and no one's going to stop us as well. So fantastic story. Listen around to that one around half past seven. If you want to get involved in this evening's conversation, you can do so by texting WhatsApp on 083 103 or if you've got something, a story or another idea you'd like to put forward to me, business at midlands103.com is the best way to do that. But to begin this evening, I'm coming right back to Tullamore and indeed to a fourth generation family business. Uh, they are O'Donoghue's Bakery, based here in Tullamore, set up, of course, by Cahill Donoghue and officially started in Tullamore back in 1989. Well, their current general manager is Louisa Donoghue, no stranger to taking care of business. And Louise is in studio with me here this evening. Louise, very good evening to you. Hi, Ronan. Thanks very much for having me. Louise, the last time we spoke, actually, believe it or not, was about white bread. And uh, there was a certain uh, kind of a furore building around white bread when the beast from the east hit us way back. I think it was early 2019 or something. I'm not sure what date it was. But at the time, you know, you were kind of saying, look, I don't know who's were well, you know, well, well situated to meet all those needs. I suppose like any other business, the last couple of years, we all know what happened in between in terms of a certain pandemic. Then we have things like the invasion in Ukraine. We have ever rising energy prices, which maybe are showing signs of coming down as well. I suppose an opener for six. How have the past couple of years been for you? I don't know who's. Yeah, well, there's something around every corner, Ronan, that's for sure. Um, the beast from the east was, jeez, uh, that was that's a blast from the past now. <laughs> Absolutely, given everything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was a fun time. Like as as horrendous and all as it was, it was a fun time in the sense that um, it was pandemonium, and we did our best to just try and get bread out to our customers, and uh, and we managed to achieve it. But around, as you say, like the pandemic caused severe staff shortages and everything that went with that. 
and the lockdowns and the fact that food service was completely closed. Um, at the time, 25% of our business was uh, food service and the growth of our frozen product is now means that 35% of our um, of our business is actually frozen frozen bread products. So it's uh, the area of growth that's kind of overtaken or coming up nearly on par in terms of our fresh business. Um, in terms of other challenges, we yes, Brexit, we've seen that and we've dealt with that and um, all the price increases and inflation. There's there's literally something around every corner and the way we look at it is, um, as you said earlier, yes, we can have our five year and 10 year plan and our long term and short term goals. But as like reviewing them nearly on a bi-monthly basis is important because you just don't know what's around the corner and it's making sure that you're in line, aligned with trends and what's happening in the environment. Um, yeah, so it's it's really just trying to stay on top of the game. The way we would look at it is um, we view every challenge nearly as an opportunity and it's just another hurdle that needs to be overcome. So um, we'll assess it, we'll... Um, trying to decide like you know the risk elements to it and figure out a way of overcoming it you mentioned actually and in the list I was going to rhyme off and never even mentioned Brexit because I know on the show previously you mentioned how even things like flower supply that that was becoming a potential problem uh, if Brexit came about as well uh, did you learn from that then and you, you mentioned how you turned those challenges into opportunities did anything new come from that for a year did you open up new possible supply routes yeah, um, well, like there is no flour mill in Ireland. So a lot of the flour that comes in um, is from the UK. Um, and all, all bakers actually have their own sort of recipe in terms of flours that they would they would take in um, from their suppliers. Um, in our case, a lot of our flour comes from Germany, comes from Canada as well. And that's milled for from our our um a mill that we use from Northern Ireland. Um, but again, they're UK based. Um, again, we managed to overcome those hurdles and through working with our suppliers, we were able to continue all that. But uh, we did get people knocking on our doors that wouldn't have knocked on our doors before where they would have been sourcing, say, uh, the likes of Germany and things like that. They would have been looking for products that they would have bought from UK suppliers and they were trying to avoid all the hassle of dealing with customs and Brexit and things like that, that they came to us because we were EU. And um, so there there was opportunities there where we um, we do supply the German market now as well in small in small amounts. But um, there's definitely there uh, more openings in terms of people reaching out to us, asking us, what can we do? And to be honest, part of our vision as as O'Donoghue's Bakery and as a company is to be a go to company who will provide solutions to problems um, and also innovation is a huge part for us. Um, so where a company might be or a customer might be looking for a bread solution where they go to their usual suppliers who might be maxed out capacity wise because of our company size and our flexibility, we might be able to turn that around quite quickly. So, um, you know, but also we have a capacity limit ourselves. So like we won't waste anyone's time if someone's coming to us and saying, 
oh, can you do this? And we realise at an early stage that we can't do it. We'll say straight out at that point that we can't do it. But um, yeah, I think that's why people come to us is because we might be able to turn that around for them. Absolutely. And the, the R&D and the, the NPD never stops with you too. And the, the penny loaf really is becoming a, a very much a signature product from the from the bakery as well. Now, it first started again as a food service product, but you decided then to take that out kind of almost into wholesale and make it available to everybody as well. How did the penny loaf come into existence? And the penny loaf is 10 years old now. Uh, we launched it to the Irish food service market in 2013. Um, penny loaves, for anyone who doesn't know, is a mini Irish soda bread. And we fully bake it and blast freeze it. So the idea is that it's really easy to use. It's like a small 50 to 65 gram loaf, individual loaf shape. Um, Because it's fully baked and blast frozen means that all you have to do is thaw and serve. So um, in the sense of food service for the chefs, they were mainly the end users. They'd, all they'd have to do is take them out of the freezer, let them thaw out in two to three hours, and then they have a product that they can just serve up. And it was guaranteeing sort of consistency on their part that they had a consistent product offering to their consumers. Um, and it did very well, uh, and it does very well in food service. Um, the big areas or the channels would be hotels, and restaurants and coffee shops. Um, they make great um, hospitality is the big one for like bread baskets and things like that as an accompaniment to soup. Um, they all won great taste awards. Um, so in terms of the quality, like we know the quality is there. But when COVID always in the back of our heads was like, how do we get this to retail? Because there was always um, on a local level, anyone around the Tullamore area, they're familiar with the penny loaf and they know of it. And at Christmas time, we would have always put up a post saying, oh, if anyone wants penny loaves for Christmas, come and collect them and you could buy them by the box. Now, there's 72 in a box, which is a lot of penny loaves. But you would have a lot of people come on the week of Christmas who would have ordered it on the Facebook page and said, yeah, I want these. And they were great. And people would come back and the comments were lovely, you know, and saying, have these in the freezer. And they're saying, where can we get these on full time scale? They're great for kids lunch boxes and things like that. And we were like, oh, well, you can come and order the box of 72 whenever you want, but you can't really buy them anywhere. So we were always thinking, how do we get these to retail? But the whole point of it selling it to retail was to have it sold as a frozen product. And who goes to the freezer aisle to buy the bread? Nobody, right? But it's uh, that's the challenge on our part is yeah. the educating the consumer piece, right? Because it kind of falls in then with the sustainability end of things and how uh, food waste is a huge thing, like bread waste. I mean, every household in the country has an element of bread waste. Well, I'm going to stop you there for a second because just before you come on, I said I'd do a bit of Googling and the first yeah. website I found was the English chef Hugh Fernsley Whittingstow at River Cottage in an article from about two years back, top five most wasted foods, number one is bread. Yeah. These are in the households as well. And he reckoned over 240 million slices of bread are dumped every year. I think that's just in the UK. Yeah. Uh, it's followed by milk, potatoes, cheese and apples. And I think anyone listening is probably going, they'll probably agree with that as well. Yeah. Bread does seem to be that number one. I think it's too easy to throw it out as well. So do you think is that the main driver for, for the consumer? It's the convenience of it, but also 
reducing waste? A hundred percent. Like if you have a packet of, so the retail pack that we've launched with Musgraves Ireland actually, so they're available in super values and centres across the country now, thankfully since last week. And um, we're very proud to have partnered with Musgraves on this. But um, the whole thing was that, yeah, convenience and food waste were, were the big things. Like if you have a packet of eight penny loaves in your freezer, you know, you've got that assurance that you're never going to run out of fresh bread again. The whole idea is you just because of the individual mini loaf, you take out what you need from the freezer. Once it thaws out and it literally only takes two to three hours at room temperature, once it thaws out, it'll last for three to four days like a fresh bread bread product in your cupboard, you know. So um, thus resulting in reducing your uh, bread waste and that. And with the little shape and size of them, like they're great for a light snack. But with us coming back into kids going back to school, and I know they don't want to hear that. <laughs> but <laughs> the reality is they will be back in a couple of weeks and um, they're cute for kids, lunchbox and stuff. And they're good. They're healthy. They're made with, you know, uh, clean ingredients and stuff like that as well. So. Again, and like, as you say, as you highlight there about the food waste, like, I mean, and that whole challenge that we have for sending people to the freezer aisle to buy their bread, how many people actually go to the supermarket to buy their fresh bread and bring it home and freeze it? Um, so lots of people freeze the bread, but it's that whole thought process around, OK, well, I'm going to go to the freezer to buy my bread. So it's just, yeah, it's actually not a huge leap in terms of in, in terms of the mindset about about changing that, too, because a lot of bread maybe that you are buying is probably already a day or half a day old by that stage before you freeze it. So by blast, blast freezing, you're getting that fresher loaf out there, too. And um, the deal with Musgraves then or the, getting it on their shelves, was that something that you approached them the day come to ye or did you specifically target them in order to get it out across the country? Uh, we targeted Musgraves because we like their model and um, the fact that they're good supporters of Irish businesses and Irish jobs. And um, we reached out to them. I got a contact for the frozen buyer um, through actually a cousin of mine who um, works with Musgraves Ireland and she got me his email address and he's very... Um, very lovely man. Uh, Keith Normoyle is his name. Once I reached out to him, he responded to me straight away, he arranged to have a meeting with me. We had a sit down. I showed him the product and um, uh, the fact that he also, as a frozen buyer for the whole of Musgraves, believed in what we were trying to achieve with this product um, just gives us, um, I suppose, great um, sort of, what's the word, like comfort or to know that you have that sort of support behind you. Um, so since they launched last week, I've been traveling around to a lot of the super values and centers, meeting the store managers, seeing the product in store. Um, we're pushing it through our stories on Instagram and things like that, just tagging the stores as well, trying to get that whole human element behind it. But um, it is very humbling to see your product actually after putting all the work in um, to, to see it on shelf is is lovely. Yeah, it's great. And and if anyone does follow your Instagrams or your social media, they'll see that kind of those road trips you've been taking over the past week too. And yeah, it's, it's lovely to see a, a local product on shelves all across the country too. Briefly before I let you go, Louise, is consumer is what the consumer wants changing in terms of the types of breads or like are, are people now looking more at the nutritional value of it, indeed the traceability, I guess, to where it's coming from, do you think? 
Oh yeah, it's it's changing all the time. Even if you look back a couple of years ago, like how the gluten free. Uh, now I know that's a very serious thing in the sense of people having wheat intolerances, and then when you've celiacs, that's a whole other level. But it was definitely a trend, a very very strong trend that's still very much existent. Um, that coupled with the health trend is not going anywhere. Um, people are definitely more conscious about um, what additives are in their foods, where their food's coming from. Um, and it's about having transparency and clarity across across that because um, they won't overlook it, do you know. Um, and for us, we try to have our finger on the pulse in that regard and keeping an eye on what consumer trends are going so, for example, to give you an idea in terms of how we keep an eye on trends, it would be through reports and um, information that actually comes a lot from Board BIA and their consumer insight reports. Um, but one of the trends we had seen was this uh, growth in Asian street food and bao buns, if you've ever heard of bao buns. So a bao bun is um, it's a, an Asian steamed bun, almost like a pita pocket. And... Um, it's filled with like duck and pickled cucumbers and hoisin and, and lots of nice things like that. But it's a, a kind of grab and go street food item. And when we were looking at how this trend was growing and I was looking, I was interested to see where the bow buns were coming from. And they were all being imported from Asia because it's an Asian steamed bun. And I went to, well, Cahal is still over NPD and R&D in the bakery. So I'll go with the idea and he will uh, knock up the product. And um, he started putting out some samples. And now we supply bow buns to um, LaRousse Foods, actually, who supply it to hotels and restaurants and street and food trucks. Um, so that'll just give you an idea in terms of keeping an eye on what's happening in the market, what new trends are upcoming and then how we can deliver on the other side. And the reduction in the carbon footprint from that supply chain is absolutely massive then as well if they were being imported from Asia over to Ireland for use exactly. and now you can make them here yeah. as well. Um, look, at, I think you said at the start there you see every challenge is an opportunity and there's no doubt uh, you're you're absolutely doing that and ready to capitalise on those. For now, Louisa Danu, thank you so much for coming in. Quickly wanting the fifth generation, is that showing any interest in baking at the minute? Actually, uh, my nephew, um, Aaron O'Donoghue, so that would be my brother Jonathan's son. Uh, he has started working. He's 15 and he's started working part time in the bakery, helping making penny loaves at the minute. So, yeah, we do have Fan- fifth generation. In fantastic, action, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> there you go. There's your, your kind of contingency and your succession plan done already. Louise, thanks a million. I look forward to seeing more updates across social media Super, and talk to you again shortly as well. Time for a quick break. After that, I'm going to talk to Damien Young of Zeus Scooters down in Carlo. And despite paying a hefty fee in annual rates to Carlow County Council every year, they recently lost out in a tender to supply the very service that they provide to that county council, even though about six or eight months before that he had presented to the council on that very topic. It's a complicated one. Let's find out more about that after this break. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Still to come here on Taking Care of Business, you're going to meet the owner and indeed the visionary behind Leash's newest or maybe even only beach resort. It is a fantastic story and 
you know, you'll hear from the visionary behind that. You know, as you know, in this show, I think we all love a story of a biz- of business people who just try to decide to do something and they go about not only achieving it, but really making a huge success of it. So that's all to come in just a few minutes. But before that, I'm going to go down to Carlo and speak to Damien Young. And Damien appeared on the show with me once or twice over the past five or six years. And he's the founder of Zeus Scooters. It was set up in 2019 and it began by using a feasibility stunt, uh, grant through local enterprise office Carlo. It has since brought in additional funding through the likes of Enterprise Ireland, even Germany's Ministry of Transport and Digital Infrastructure, as well as raising significant private investment too. Damien, the business is clearly very mobile. Damien joins me on the phone now and has been bolstered recently by the acquisition of Zip Mobility. Damien, all that points to a, a young company that seems to be uh, upwardly mobile. Is that Would that be fair to say? Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a lot in a very short space of time. So as you say, we, we started up in 2019 um, we've uh, we've now entered about eight countries around the world, um, mostly in Europe, but also in uh, Malaysia. And uh, we've a fleet of about 9,000 e-scooters, a number of e-bikes and uh, e-mopeds um, in over 65, I think, uh, different uh, towns and cities around the world. And your model is largely a rental rental model. How has that been received across Europe? And indeed, um, you know, has it changed in terms of the mindset, in terms of both, say, local authorities and councils and even consumers as to how, how, how these devices and scooters become available to them? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's a very uh, rapidly, it's a young market. It's a very rapidly changing market. Um, so we've seen a lot of change over the last kind of three to four years. Um, the I suppose the, um, the councils, the local authorities and that type of thing are, you know, they're putting in a lot more kind of uh, regulations. They're learning a lot uh, from what's happened over the last number of years. So the schemes tend to be a lot more organized now than they were, say, four, three, four years ago. Um, and they're working very well. I mean, people are using them for commuting. You've got tourism. Um, so it, it is a very uh, used uh, service in these cities. And it really does kind of connect with local transport infrastructure. So it definitely is, 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 is improving strongly um, over the last number of years. Um, of course, with that growth as well, that brings about a rise in numbers of employees as well. What are you currently sitting at? Yeah, so we, we, we employ about 30 people um, uh, directly but, uh, in, in our German offices and in our office in Carlo. Um, and then we indirectly uh, employ over 100 people uh, in our operations in each of the cities. So, you know, with 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 each of the cities, we've, uh, you know, two or three operatives uh, that are based in the city um, and they work for us as well. And of course, um, when we mentioned, you know, headquartered in Carlo, that kind of, kind of, I suppose, leads us to something that hit the news in the past week or two in that Carlo County Council went out to tender for basically an e-scooter contract for Carlo Town. And uh, you, of course, tendered for it as part of Zoo Scooters, but you were not successful in it. Now, I would believe by what I've read on it, you're not exactly, uh, you're not criticising the mechanism. I mean, in fairness, you're a Carlo-based company that's supplying a service right across Europe and Asia. But um, there were certain parts of that process that uh, irked you, to say the least. Can you update us on that and tell us? What yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, first of all, we, you know, because we're a local company, we don't expect that we would, you know, automatically be granted local contracts. I mean, that, that's farcical. But what we do have is extremely, a uh, lot of experience. Um, we have been working with uh, Carla County Council on actually introducing this scheme in the first place that led, led to the tender. Um, you know, they, they, they understand how we operate. They understand our operations. We have a very, very good track record of customer services, of operations, of, um, you know, mechanics and so on. Uh, right the way through our, our operations. So that's the first and foremost. 
second thing I'm certainly not criticizing is the process of tendering, right? Now, the question I suppose I'd have for a pilot scheme, does it need to go to public tender? Um, they answer that question as, yes, it does need to go to public tender. But I suppose the, the uh, and once it goes into that tender process, I'm not questioning the tender process. What I am questioning is, was, is you know, I suppose the competency of the people that are looking at tenders and their understanding of the market, understanding of how these schemes work, uh, understanding the environmental side. Um, and that's a very critical one, the environmental side, um, because what we did see was in this tender, you know, the other company was awarded points for what we call greenwashing. And in our view, you know, we have established ourselves as a company from the get-go that is environmentally friendly. So, you know, we have created uh, solar charging stations. We have solar panels on our uh, main uh, warehouse in Germany. We power all of our scooters from from, uh, renewable sources. Um, And we don't engage in, you know, greenwashing because we have a very, very low carbon footprint. Um, However, we don't also employ lots of consultants to do things to counterbalance um, our our carbon footprint. And, you know, what what happened in the tender is that we were awarded less points because we didn't do that greenwashing. Um, There were other factors as well. I mean, our our pricing was uh, a little bit cheaper because we introduced packages and subscriptions, uh, which which most customers go on to, uh, and it effectively reduces the the average cost of ride uh, significantly down. So we would have been cheaper there. But plus, we are a local uh, 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 company, which means our footprint in terms of servicing these schemes is always going to be lower. We are always on call. Um, we are literally, uh, you know five kilometers away from Carlos uh, town centre. So, you know, there's a lot of things there. And I suppose it was a, a bit of a, a surprise and shock that, you know, a, a company that was born in Carlo, that's grown in Carlo, that employs Carlo people uh, in its offices in Carlo, uh, was not given the opportunity to provide a service back into Carlo. That's it. And that proximity has to be a huge thing too, like and given that they are their, their devices, their mechanical devices too, so they will need a bit of servicing, a bit of repair too. Correct. I mean, um, so basically the criteria obviously then doesn't really look into the ability of the winning company to actually you know, fulfil all those parts of the contract. Yes, and, 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 and that would be my belief that, that you know, the, 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 the understanding of what is required here and being able to meet those those requirements um, just wasn't there. And, and we, we believe that, um, you know, as, as, a, as a local company, we are probably geared more towards providing that local service. You did appeal the decision, but it has been rejected. Yeah, the, the, the appeal was, as, as I said from the, 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 the outset, the appeal was not based on the tendering process. The appeal was not based just solely because we were a local company. The appeal went through each of the points of the scoring where we pointed out where there were errors in that scoring. Um, and that the, the appeal was rejected, not on the basis of what we wrote in the appeal, but there is a tender process and that is the tender process. So we can't deviate from the tender process. So they misread the appeal as well as misreading the actual tender itself. And were parts of that process too, when it came to the weightings assigned to each part, like did the sustainability or the carbon neutral part, was that given, say, as a lot of kind of weight in terms of the potential scoring for that, like say more so than maybe the financial part of it, or was it all done on an equal footing? 
Yeah, it was, it was all reasonably uh, equal footing. So there was four parts to the uh, the, the evaluation. Uh, in part one, we scored the same. Um, uh, part two or part three was the environmental, which were uh, out of, I think it was 2,000 points, we were 300 points lower because we didn't have affiliations with, um, you know, this uh, uh, greenwashing uh, offsetting of, of carbon footprint. Uh, because we know, you know, other companies, if you compare company A to company B and say, what is your total carbon footprint? We are by far a lower carbon footprint. Um, and, and there is no dispute on that. Um, so, you know, carbon offsetting, all of these things does not change the fact that you have a carbon footprint um, or that you have a large carbon footprint. So we, we lost points there and we lost obviously points on the pricing where we believe that, uh, again, the the description of our pricing was misunderstood um, in that we have the subscription packages which basically provide the the user with far cheaper um, uh, ride prices um, and we would stand by that. How long is the trial scheme meant to last? So the pilot scheme I think is one year um, and I suppose the, the, the pilot scheme is introducing um, Ronan these uh, e-bikes firstly um, because at the time of the tender, um, the legislation for e-scooters was not ratified. Um, subsequently, it has been signed off by the president, um, and we expect that e-scooter legislation will be will be fully in place uh, by around September. Now, having said that, the tender was based on e-bikes, but it also included that automatically the winning tender would be uh, entitled to put e-scooters in when legislation is passed. Now, <clears throat> the other issue that we have with that is is that not one question um, or approach, etc., related to the vehicle, the e-scooter, um, or anything to do with e-scooters. So effectively, there's a there's kind of a, a, a free pass for um, the company to introduce e-scooters when it is legalised. Yeah which prevents us obviously from doing it as well well hopefully there'll be some learnings from it too from your own perspective um, yeah it certainly sounds like it's kind of a, it's a closed door there at the minute which is kind of frustrating given you've pointed out you pay over 6,000 euros in, in rates annually to the council as well and, and we're part of that initial consultation process in, in, in helping you know, look at that strategy Correct, yeah. but um Outside yeah. of that, what does the rest of the what does the next year or two look like for Zoo Scooters? Are you going to continue trying to raise some funding? And where do you see your footprint, or how do you see that expanding across across Europe and the wider world? Yeah, so we are um, we are expanding over in uh, the UK at the moment. Um, just shortly after the uh, uh, the Carlo tender, actually, we were awarded a tender to provide e bikes in the uh, uh, Buckingham uh, Buckinghamshire in uh, the UK. Um, we're, we're putting a lot of focus on the German market, continue to put a lot of focus on the German market over the next 12 months. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of, uh, uh, you know, cities that don't have a micro mobility that we're, we're, we're looking at. Um, and we are looking at other European countries. We have um, tentative contracts in Denmark, in Spain, Portugal, uh, Austria. Um, we're always fundraising, Ronan. Um, there's, <laughs> we have an always on approach to fundraising because, you know, the, the, the more we could do of that, the more we can expand and gain uh, profitability. But this year we, we hope to hit full profitability. 
hopefully. And hopefully someday Carlo will feature on that list of, of towns and cities that uh, Zeus is serving. It would be great. It would be nice and circular. It would close out the story, be a nice loop anyway, but hopefully that day will come. But Damien, for now, thank you so much. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, looking forward to hearing more about the growth of Zeus scooters over the coming years. Damien Young, thank you very much. Thanks, Ronan. Cheers, Bye. That's Damien Young there, the founder and CEO of Zoo Scooters. Time for a quick break. After that, find out about a beach resort in County Leash. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. You know, on this show, I love a business of somebody who just has a vision, has a dream and says, you know, we're going to go, we're going to build it, we're going to do it, we're going to create a business where there was no business before and maybe often in a sector or with a type of business that people might say, God, you must be a little bit crazy to do that. Well, Leash is the only doubly landlocked county in Ireland but it hasn't stopped one local couple from developing a beach resort. Well, one of the players behind that couple, I think maybe probably the main player, is Yvette Bow of the Ranch Cabin down in Erlen County Leash. And they've recently opened the Pond, Pond Beach Resort too. Yvette joins me now. A very good evening, Yvette. I suppose, first question, why a beach in County Leash? <laughs> Hi, Ronan. Thanks for having us. Um, well, the answer to that would be very simple. Why not? <laughs> we... It just came along during the lockdown that we felt to make something exotic. And as you know, the climate is changing. The summers are getting hotter. And we just wanted to make something exotic and something different. And yeah, we dreamed a dream. And we never thought that it's going to go where it did go. We never thought it's going to go as far as it did, but it did. So we are open now and it's wonderful. It's something we never imagined. Take us through the, the ranch cabin. I suppose that was one of the first things you did as well. It really offers quite a unique experience in Leash, including exotic plants, palm trees, hot tubs. Like it really starts, when you start reading into it, look at some of the pictures online, it looks mm-hmm. amazing. Where did the initial idea come from then? Like, or who, whose idea was it? And how did you come about creating all the features and the amenities that you have down there? You see, the ranch cabin is established already four years. Where it came from was, I suppose, it was something a bit of my home. Um, that we wanted to welcome the families to come and enjoy a bit of a farm life or see what the farm life is like. Um, People can go and see where the milk really comes from or meet farm animals and, you know, experience the farm stay. So that's the ranch cabin, which is a private big garden to yourselves with a barbecue, sauna, hot tub facilities. And from there on, then the Palm Beach came along with all the palm trees and exotic plants and waterfall and exotic fish. That's what it grew into. So I know you said the climate is changing a little bit. I mean, we're seeing that, I suppose, we're getting the, the wet and colder side of that across Europe. We see lots of temperatures rising. How then do you go about growing and sustaining exotic fish, exotic plant and, and flora and fauna in the middle of Ireland? Well, of course, you have to think about that. It is island and it has a lot of rain, but we do take precautions. So we have um, kind of big patios which are covered from the weather and you have hot So it's all roof. So regardless if it's rain or shine, you can still enjoy all the facilities. Either it is a Palm Beach Resort, Ranch Cabin. 
So we do cater for Irish weather as much as we can. And do you find that when you when you created the the venue and created the 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 destination, then people began to twig on and kind of realise, well, actually, Irish weather is only one element that is that when it's when it's designed that you can withstand that weather that people begin to adapt to it indeed and 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 seek it out as a destination. Well, we hope so because Irish people are well used to the rain, and you know, so the ranch cabin, as I mentioned, it has a lot of roofed areas that they can enjoy it regardless if it's raining or not. So we're hoping that that is not one of the main reasons. When it came to then actually creating and developing the beach, what sort of work was involved in that? Oh, it was a lot of work involved. It was a lot of imagination and none of that would have happened if I wouldn't have a good partner, Pat. Um, You know, one thing, as I said, it's imagination and then, you know, putting the plan into a place. We just had this amazing vision and we wanted to bring it to life. And we have a picture where in that field you had cows actually grazing the grass. But most of the time, let's say eight months out of the year, we couldn't actually use that field. And that's when I came up with the idea. Why don't we make it into a pond? Because it was flooded. It was flooded most of the year. And then little by bit, we, we digged it out, and it's quite substantial, big pond. And um, then we added a little pebble beach for ourselves, and we got the boats for ourselves, and we let the fish in it, and it's full of exotic fish. And we never knew that they will adopt or not, but they have really nicely adopted. And people actually go and feed them who stay on a pond beach. And it's so interesting that the koi fish actually come out to the coast, and you can even pet them. <laughs> well, which is, everything seems to be falling into place for you as well. When it comes to promoting the business, then I know you use the regular social media channels too. But how do you typically go yes. about, I suppose, targeting your customers? And indeed, who are your typical target customers? Um, the Pond Beach at the moment is adults only because of the water. Um, the ranch cabin is family friendly, and we bring people supervised the children down to the pond, and they can feed the animals or. They can uh, feed the fishy, so it's kind of supervised with a sports field as well. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I suppose um, you, I suppose in terms of getting that message out to people, then do you, do you know have you engaged with the likes of Board Falcha? Do you with any local organisations or you know something like Airbnb as well? What typically where do people find out really about uh, the, the Pebble Beach or the Pond Beach Resort and indeed the ranch cabins? At the moment, we are on Airbnb and a booking.com and majority of our social media is a Facebook or Instagram. We haven't made a, a website yet, but we are planning to and it's in a pipeline. Um, but uh, it, it, it's when you're new, it is hard and we got hacked on our ranch cabin uh, Facebook page. So our page was actually stolen. But we have to say that the Facebook team was working very hard behind it and we retrieved it. We were lucky enough. But yeah, if you have to start from zero, it's very hard to get the word out there on the social media. But we're doing okay and we're trying our best and we have fantastic followers who share our posts and say a good word. And yeah, we're we're hoping to to achieve um, as successful as Ranch Cabin. And will it be open all year round then, given that a lot of it is weatherproof, or do you have kind of certain seasons that you'll prefer to operate? The ranch cabin is open all year round. At the Christmas, we do private Santa experiences and met by elves, so it's kind of very Christmassy. And the Palm Beach will be open all year round as well, because the buildings are built very solid. They're 
um, metal frame. They're like luxurious apartments. And I have to say the company who I worked with was the Sprout Pods. They are amazing, amazing. And the quality they do is really good. So therefore, they are very insulated. They're very warm and luxurious accommodations. So yes, they will be open in the winter with a beautiful views from your own patio. Wow, that, and that's huge because for a, for a tourist destination to have that all year round availability is, is massive, both for yourself from a commercial perspective. But on the day-to-day running event, then, is it largely yourself and Pat involved? And, and, how does, and if so, how does that normally work between you? Do you work well as a partnership? Um, as I mentioned before, yes, uh, if I wouldn't have a very strong partner, this all wouldn't happen. Um, well, we're hoping to take more people on soon, and I have taken a very nice local lady on to help me just to keep up the standards and cleaning and maintain everything. But um, yeah, at the moment, it's just two of us. And uh, as I mentioned, we are also a dairy farm, so the past does the milking and I do then the carbon side. So it's, it's hands-on from 7 on till 9 o'clock in the night yeah, when can... the people check in. You want to meet them and greet them and show them how everything works because um, I think it matters when people arrive that you can actually explain to them how things work, what's around, where to go. And in the future, we hope when we expand to the five housings at the moment, we have only two, that it will bring much more people to leash to where we are you know, and in the future, we're hoping to add um, a bar, which would be kind of Bali-style bar, um, barbecue restaurant. Um, it, that's all in the pipeline, and that will create much more work for the local community. Wow, and I think if anybody's going to do it and get there, I think yourself and Pat will, because what you've already developed, I'm just saying <laughs> that anyone listening, please check out their social medias on the ranch cabin. I just see some of the photographs and videos of the fish and everything else that takes place down there. It looks absolutely incredible, and, and no doubt, all those other features that arrive in the coming years as well and uh, plenty more hard work to go in but no better people set up. Yvetta, thank you so much for coming on this evening as well, introducing us to the Ranch Cabin and Pond Beach Resort. It sounds amazing and all the very best for the future. Thank you so much, Ron. Maybe one day you will come and visit us. I think I most certainly will. I'll have to, I'll have to arrange that as well. <laughs> looking, looking forward to it. I might even milk the cows for you while I'm down there. <laughs> thank, You're thank. more than welcome to that too. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for having us, Ron. Not at all. An absolute pleasure. Thanks, Yvette. So there you go. Again, you know, we just, don't you love just hearing about a new business, somebody just kind of taking a chance, having a vision and just going about achieving that, building it. And as that famous saying from the film went, if you build it, they will come. And uh, much more to come there from Pat and Aveta at the Ranch Cabin in the Pond Beach Resort down in Erling County Leash. Well done. Time now for a quick break. After that, I'm going to look at that announcement today from Minister Roderick O'Gorman that victims of domestic violence will be allowed, I think it's up to five days leave, fully paid, um, if they are subjected to domestic violence. So Anne Clark from Offaly Domestic Violence Support Service will be on after this break to give their reaction to that announcement. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Domestic violence leave will be formally introduced in the autumn of this year with the publication of regulations setting out the rate of pay and guidance for employers currently being developed by Women's Aid. This was announced this morning by Minister Roderick O'Gorman, Minister for Equality, and it gives the victim of domestic violence a chance to access support without impacting on their employment and income. So it will be fully supported in the role during the period as well. To get some reaction to this, I'm delighted to be joined by Anne Clark. Anne is the CEO of Offaly Domestic Violence Support Services. Anne, is this a move that she would, on the large scale, welcome? 
Absolutely, Ronan. I mean, we've been looking at um, trying to get this in place since uh, pre-COVID. Um, you know, it, it, it really does impact a victim of domestic abuse uh, in their workplace when they have to go through a myriad of different um, helps and support. So something like this is extremely welcomed. We know Ireland's going to be probably one of the first European countries to actually bring in paid leave for domestic, for victims of domestic violence. Um, again, it has been a priority for the government too. Uh, it's going to be kind of a two-year. They're going to review it after two years as well. Do you think employers or business will have any concerns or how quickly do you think people will just accept this, adapt to it and, and see it as a vital support that it is? Yeah, I, I mean, initially we were looking for 10 days paid leave because, as I said, it's multifaceted with the amount of support that somebody might need to, to have, you know, multiple visits to court, social welfare, you know, um, just to even find new um, housing, uh, really to get financially stable again. So the fact that it's five days it was a little bit disappointing. However, you know, we are we do welcome it profusely in moving in the right direction. I think that... You know, COVID certainly brought domestic violence very much into the forefront of people's thinking, particularly when you see that many people were now going to be on lockdown with their abusers. So I think it is certainly, the awareness has certainly heightened um, uh, since COVID. And I think we look at a whole of community response. So it's not just, you know, services like ourselves that have to take responsibility, but also employers and we know that has a major, major impact on production and income in regards to employers who may see that their employees have to take sick days off or unpaid days off. So I really think that if you support that, that employee around what their experiences are, that you will get far much more from that employee than if you didn't support them. So I think it's a, I think it will be very welcomed. I think there's a lot of teething and support needed. And I think yeah, definitely the two-year review is, is very, very good. But on, on a whole, it's a good thing. I suppose an organisation such as your own would probably see it over the years that people probably had to leave jobs or careers in the past because they couldn't get time off to deal with something as what could be quite horrific as, as domestic violence like that. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. You know, we have clients at the moment that are having to leave their jobs because they really can't sustain uh, the trauma that they have to experience, the multiple uh, court visits. Uh, There's different, various different assessments and reviews that they might have to go through. So, yeah, it would be certainly the biggest thing we would see women, uh, particularly predominantly women, is the financial abuse that accompanies domestic abuse. And almost 90% of women would experience financial abuse. And, and an awful lot of that is because they may have find themselves, because of the amount of time they have to take off work, uh, maybe, you know, having eventually to make the decision, I can't keep this going and I have to, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll leave that job, I'll try and get myself back. And, you know, they, they kind of get trapped into that cycle then again. And invariably, sometimes they end up having to go back into the abusive relationship because they don't have that financial stability. So this is a major move to helping victims of abuse uh, have that financial stability so that they do have those days where they can go into court. And also, more importantly, that they don't have to be hiding that from employers, that they're, they're now an avenue where they can disclose that in a very safe place and uh, get that support from their employers or HR managers. You mentioned at the start that Women's Aid are developing policies and procedures around that, but ourselves 
we also we also have information brochures and we have worked with various companies around the Midlands in order to develop their policies and their procedures. So we welcome any employer that wants to contact us in the Midlands to give us a call to, you know, we've free brochures there for your HR manager and uh, employees and and. Uh, you know, colleagues who might want to support that person Brilliant. and what and they're going thank through. You, thank you so much as well. Huge important subject there. Anne Clark, of course, is man- CEO at Offaly Domestic Violence Support Services. That unfortunately is it for this evening. Um, that's coming in from later this year as well. I'll be back next Tuesday from 7pm. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. Joe Cooney's here next after News at 8. Taking care of business. Returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.